Hello, everybody, and welcome yet again to Ammonite Movie Night, God's least favorite podcast. Uh, this is Kevin. With me, as always, is Jared. How's it going, Jared? It's going cool. It's going cool. How about you? You know, I can't really complain. It's week 94 here, kind of in the same room I've been in, at this same chair for like eight weeks. Um, I may as well not have gone to sleep at all, and it's fine. Everything's fine. Hmm. Well, does that mean you have or haven't started to fuse with your chair? Uh, we're getting there, although it's getting creaky. It is getting creaky. I have to order a new chair. I stood up and the chair t- tried to come with me. It was horrifying. <laughs> it grabbed on with its pincers. It's little pincers, Kevin. That hasn't happened just yet. Before we get started in kind of what we've been watching last week, I do have some housekeeping and announcements and some notes. Sure. Uh, by the time you listen to this, we will be up on Instagram and Twitter at A-M-N-T-I-N-C. Hopefully, we will see how it goes. I'm trying to figure out Twitter. <laughs> Kevin, fi- Kevin, it doesn't matter if you figure out Twitter. Twitter is going to figure you out. No, I know. How many times have I lurked on Twitter and then it keeps telling me to log in? So I have to open 10 different windows to look at one like photo gallery tweet? Honestly, keep a burner account. Just like you don't post from it. You just follow certain things. So you have like a, it's pretty much just a feed. That's not a bad idea. But in the meantime, AMNTINC is on Instagram. And uh, if you see a link to our Twitter in the show notes, you'll know that went well, too. Uh, also, Mazel Tov. Mazel tov. Uh, Another Mazel this week um, is the launch of the spinoff show, kind of, sort of. The sister show to Ammonite Movie Night, Austin Danger Podcast. <laughs> um, that I'm doing with uh, a friend of the show, Mackenzie Wilkes out in Chicago. It is going to be a show that focuses on not just the Austin Powers movies, but the work of the people who made the movies from Mike Myers, all the way down to the best boy, uh, all the way down to the uncredited special effects people. That sounds awesome. Holy shit. That is the show. So we could be doing, are you getting recommendations from like, Oh, follow this person's career. Like, would you be taking stuff like that? We grabbed everything right now. Um, it's not a full list, but the list is like several hundred movies long already. <laughs> like we didn't include all of Spielberg, but because Steven Spielberg appears in Goldmember, 1941 could be an episode, for example. Um, Sherry O'Terry did a cameo from SNL. Sherry O'Terry did a cameo mm-hmm. in the spy who shagged me at the end when they're looking at the, the dick shaped rocket. <laughs> yes. You know what movie Sherry O'Terry is in? What movie is she in, Kevo? She's in Southland Tales. <laughs> so I'm saying that, and the best part about Austin Danger Powers is that once we get through the trilogy, the movies will be picked, with some exceptions, at random. <laughs> so, oh, if, so if we don't have a guest lined up, for example, because we've had some requests for guests, um, we're just going to pick a number and we're going to see where it leads us. Oh, hell yeah. It could be this Shrek. A- it could be Shrek. It could be Southland Tales. It could be Dune 2021 because a sound editor worked on both the original Austin Powers and Dune. You're going to get something horrifying, like some some no, no-brain no B-movie from 1984 that secretly kind of rules. That sounds about right. <laughs> um, so that's Austin Danger Podcast. That's going to start Monday, and then it's going to be it's going to go up Mondays from there on out. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing I was on the Synonauts podcast last week to talk about sex in the city it was a ton of fun and uh, you should go listen to that and that'll be in the show notes as well 
Um, and who knows? Maybe one day they'll invite me back to talk about Citizen Kane. It's a mystery to everyone. Um. <laughs> hey, we'll find out eventually. All right. So all my crap is out of the way. Jared, do you have any housekeeping before we get started? Um, I bought new sunglasses. Hell yeah. Hold do up, you, do up. you have them on hand? Jared's sunglasses reveal for the Instagram. My father says I look like the Unabomber. Can we get a shirt? Could you hold that pose for a second? Thank you very much. Check the Instagram. <laughs> check the Instagram Wednesday for that. <laughs> this, this is an amazing photo, actually. <laughs> did you get you? Did you get yourself in in as well? No. Uh oh. <laughs> oh no no. This is a Jared exclusive photo. Jared. Oh sunglasses. man, I guess that's uh... Jared Sunglasses PNG. Oh man, I'll have to be my uh, Twitter account uh, avatar <laughs> and my uh, letterbox a- avatar. It's po- the, the possibilities are endless with jaredsunglasses.png. I wonder um, where we can go on this mystical adventure. <laughs> All right. So with that out of the way, I mean, I spent an hour shaving my face, but no one wants to hear about that. Uh, Jared, what have you been watching this week? Um, Not as much as I would have liked. I did a lot of hanging out the past Good. few days just because, you know, why not? But I can tell you about... Um, I threw on Terminator 2 when I was insanely exhausted and just wanted some something pleasant that I already know all the beats to. And this will come as a big surprise, but this is the best action movie ever made. Thank you. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Surprise. Welcome. <laughs> um, that said, I had a great, great thought written at... 1.15 a.m. Does Terminator 2 feel like a shonen anime condensed recap movie or what? Because it does it does have a bit of an episodic structure. It does. And there are par- it does feel very broad, even though you do get a lot of character. Everything feels very broad in how they paint the characters. You kind of want some filler episodes. Like, what if Arnie... I'm sorry, um, Uncle Bob... And uh, jo- and John Connor went off on an adventure with that the little kid that like they met up with in the desert. They went off on a little adventure, had to shoot some guns, and like the kid learns that Arnie's the Terminator. But like, you know, Ed Furlong turns him and goes shh, and that's the end of episode fourteen, a filler episode. Where's if you, that? If you uh, if you didn't just hear in your mind the T one thousand in Cam Clark's voice saying he's at the Galleria. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> He's at the Galleria, Snake. <laughs> Ooh, that was rusty. That's good. I'll, br- I'll bring I'll bring that back in a in a better way some other time. <laughs> the, the other thing I watched that was of note. Oh, actually, let's get this out of the way first. Uh, I watched the third episode of Robert Fett. Oh what do you yeah. Have to say about it, Kevin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Boba Fett Book Club, the weekly segment where uh, last week Jared liked Boba Fett so much that I thought we should talk about it every week, and then we watched the third episode of Boba Fett. Um, <laughs> I was, I mean, I thought I was being patient on the second episode, being absolutely nothing. Turns out I was right to be internally a little trepidatious because episode three is a whole big nothing burger. It, you know, nothing happens. Continuing this trend that I absolutely hate where, you know, they have enough ideas for maybe like a movie. Yeah. Or like, you know, maybe a four hour long movie, but they have to be six hours long because it's a show and you have Mm -hmm. to drag it out for the six weeks to keep you sub the two months. It's like, it's a combination of nothing happening. And then the modern, the current day story, quote unquote, current day storyline, uh, post 
Mando season two is just so like, what is it to what end? Why is it happening? Why are you dragging me along? Um, I'm still on the hook. I'm still going to watch the rest of the season, but ultimately the only thing this showed me was that they should not do chase scenes anymore, which is crazy because the chase, the train scene in episode two was so good. Um, the, the fact what, that you the can't, chase? uh, not, it's not much of a chase, but it's all the train oh, stuff yes. was great. High impact, high speed action. And then you get the Burger King kids club chasing the improv comedian through Mozespa, And it looks like total trash. Uh, what happened? Like what happened? I, I can't even say it's a budget problem because this is Disney and it's star Wars. It just, the other like thing garbage. <laughs> like a lot of the show looks pretty good to me. I thought the rancor puppet was neat. I thought, you know, um, the huts always looked adequate, Yeah, like fine, like good, like movie quality, good. But like the Burger King Kids Club feels like they bought these bikes off the rack and then they just had to like figure it out. Um, I don't believe those characters exist in that setting. Also, not to nitpick. The the fact that there are no aliens among them shows just how little money they must have. Okay, I'm really glad you said that, because I also felt that too. Because like, isn't the whole thing about Tatooine is that the people who are there are, like, excessively diverse to where there would be at least a Rodian with them? Oh, yeah. Or a pig man? I always, I, always, I always picked up from Tatooine that if there are humans there, they are either eccentric or visiting from their moisture farms out in the middle of the desert. Like, humans are not liked. The only thing lower than a human is a droid. I did appreciate my new favorite character, the fuzzy guy, the fuzzy, um, who's, what's the alien called? That's like, you're going to know it when I describe it, but it kind of looks like a scimitar. It's like a, he's got a long, curvy, wide head. And then the eyes are on stalks on this side. Oh, oh, unfortunately I know that's an Ethiorian, Ethorian, maybe. Let me double check that. Would be Wikipedia. Wikipedia has it for me. Oh, yeah, 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 this guy. The mayor or whatever. I, I really appreciated that uh, he was fuzzy, and <laughs> and that's kind of what I got. They actually were starting to do some interesting stuff with the idea of internal politics, and then nothing happened, so I don't... <laughs> I don't know. Isn't the show half over now? Isn't it only six episodes? That's right. I'm at a point where I'm like, why am I watching this every week is kind of how I feel. Why am I being strung along like this? They burned me three. Well, okay. WandaVision I enjoyed, and then it became just like everything else, and I stopped enjoying it. Falcon Mm. and Winter Soldier I, I did enjoy until it stopped dead for no reason to wander around in circles in the middle and then didn't quite have enough exciting in the third act to pick it back up. Although uh, Sam in the cap suit was cool. Uh, Loki was never going to be interested anyway. So whatever, but I liked the finale with Jonathan majors um, and they burned me again. <laughs> yeah. Even, even Mando season two was guilty of this when halfway through season two, whatever, what was going on with Grogu kind of stopped dead in order for them to start pitching their spinoffs at you. And this is the first one of those. Yeah. Give me your money. Give me your money. Give me your money. And I tend to like this stuff. So um, I think you're, you'll agree, you know, I'm going to stick with it. Are you going to stick with it? Uh, sticking with it or not sticking with it, it doesn't matter. It'll flush. It'll be flushed out of my head by the time, like, the credits roll. Good Lord. It doesn't matter. 
Wow. This is the full unleashed Jared. Yeah. Um, this is what Kevin, this is what Kevin deals with. Bless his, bless his heart. And bless my soul. I need it. Give me the beat boys and free my soul. I want to get lost in some decent action or at least a benevolent Boba Fett that makes sense and isn't a bumbling idiot like Jason in Friday the 13th part two, which I also watched this week. Um, if you can give me that, that'd be great. The problem is the only thing these the only thing these companies have are idea are idea guys, and they're not even idea guys because they're just looking at pre made material and going, well, what if we did our spin and then they write nothing, and then at the end they have a twist where we realize that Darth Vader is going to show up in the next season of Boba Fett or like next product will tell you what happens. Yeah. Hey, next product. But the other th- the last thing I watched, which is uh, Mister Thank You by Hiroshi Shimizu. Kevin, are you familiar with his work at all, or no? I saw you liking reviews for this on Letterboxd, which we'll talk yeah. about Jared's Letterboxd at the end of this segment. Uh, um, <laughs> but what is... Give me some background and let me know what you thought of it. Um, Sorry, I saw something funny, and I was immediately distracted. So this movie is about a bus driver named... Nicknamed Mr. Thank You by the people he passes and the people that he that uh, ride with him. It takes place in pre-war, uh, J- pre-war Japan. Like uh, I think the, the movie comes out in 1936, so I'm assuming it's in that area. But it's this, it's very, it's this very pleasant film that really just, it's it's disguised itself as a pleasant film i should just state that state that straight up it's all about the well the difficulties of living in a time getting worse and everyone knows it and they know things can only get worse from there they see the tide of war coming but they have but the one thing that all these people have in common is they all take the bus together and they have this one bus driver they all like they refer to as arigato-san just translates to mr thank you and he's just this very kind guy. Keeps a straight keeps a straight face. He talks to everyone. He gets to know them. He'll pass people in the middle of the street who don't take his bus, and he'll talk to them. And they'll say, oh, could you please pass this message along? Could you please check on someone for me? And he does it. It's about quiet, unspoken deeds. How Sona, something as little as how are you doing to an acquaintance, friendly face, or a friend can make them just a little smidge happier. That's his job. He just says, how you doing? And thank you. Uh, Shimizu does this very interesting thing that I really liked. Because um, the whole thing is he he passes them and um, when they... He passes people, he honks at them, and they get out of the way, and he yells, thank you, at the window. That's his whole thing. Arigato! And you see the, you see the bus approaching these people from the back. It, it fades out, and it fades, it fades out, and it overlaps. There's an overlapping image of the bus, like, watching them as the bus leaves, like, right out the back window. And some of them yell, some of them yell, Mr. Thank You, back to him. I just think, I like that. They don't show, they rarely ever show anyone interacting with the bus. You don't see them move out of the way. It just passes through them like a ghost. You don't, you never see people really get on or off the bus. You see people stopping or pe- or talking to people on the bus, off the bus, having a little conversation, etc. And then they're on next. Or maybe someone will say, this is my stop. And then you don't see them get off, but you just see them, you see them walking, walking away on the street as the bus leaves them behind. 
And sometimes it happens suddenly. There's one character who's with the bus for most of the time. Then he just gets off and leaves. Because he had had enough of this one horny lady heckling him. And it's... It's just sweet. It's the kind of things you kind of imagine to yourself when you're on the bus. When you look at other people and imagine what their lives are like. Everyone's chatty on this damn bus, too. Every... It makes sure, the movie makes sure to break down the walls of class the best they can. Like, the guy who I mentioned gets off and leaves abruptly, he has like a gold chain, a nice hat and all that. And they're they're making fun of him because he's a dork. He's a big, goofy mustache. And the woman heckling him is just like, oh man, I bet his gold, I bet his gold watch is fake too. All I bet he's fi- as phony as, uh, he, as he uh, presents. Everything about him is a lie and all that. And so leans over and says, ah, he, he's been, he's fallen on tough times. He has this job that's pretty much grinding him to the bone. He can barely, like, he pretty much living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, despite looking like he lives well. Then as a shot of, continues that shot of him in the distance as the bus leaves him, leaves him as he decides to walk. I'm not saying I'm not saying it breaks down perfectly, but it really puts into perspective who rides the bus. Right. And I and I quite liked that. That's interesting. You gave it five stars on Letterboxd, which was wild. Oh, this is a I love this film very much. I'm not going to say it's like my favorite film of all time or something, but for what it is, it's very pleasant. It's so calming. Huh. There's a there's a lot of stuff about class class struggle in there. But it's not upfront about it. It's exist. It exists. The characters don't really need to talk about it unless it's in context within its own context, which you can look into it if you want, or you can also just hang out and admire whenever when it, sometimes uh, the camera points itself out the bus and you just watch this landscape go by. Just something pleasant. It's only goodness seventy minutes. That's all I needed to hear. Uh huh. Uh huh. 70, 70 minutes of just something incredibly pleasant and calming. It's wild how. <laughs> so I saw this in another Letterbox review. It's wild how all these old movies have, honestly, are very bleak, but they still manage to come off hopeful. The soundtrack and soundtrack, the the score they that's set to this movie is also insanely upbeat and cheerful, despite everything being kind of bleak, and. Similar to how the Doom Slayer in the new Doom games, he brings his soundtrack with him, the metal blasting as uh, he comes to he uh, goes to kick some demons' skulls in. I like to think Mr. Thank You has his own cheery music as well. You're stuck on the bus, fucking sucks. The guy next to you smells, and he won't stop complaining. But Mr. Thank You's the nicest dude on the planet, and you know what? That'll have to be enough for now. He's like Michael Myers. Pretty much. Exactly like that. How'd you know what I was going for? I would love that little Mr. Thank You theme. I gotta watch this movie. Where is it on the Criterion channel? Yes, it is, along with all of other, uh, all the other uh, Hiroshi Shimizu films. And here's the best part. Most of them are under an hour and 30 minutes. This is a beautiful thing. He's, he's the, uh, I'm gonna compare these two because they were actually friends and they have similar ideas. Um, Ozu. Yasujiro Ozu. He and Yasu, Yasujiro Ozu are in a similar plane of that kind of like not intense but important discussions you have among community and family, that kind of thing. And this is not a sting at Shimizu, but he's the pocket-sized version, version of Ozu. Because Ozu likes films that are solid two hours in that range, generally. And then Shimizu is an hour. It's just a difference of an hour. Huh. It's, 
So yeah, that's my recommendation. I would highly, I'd highly recommend Mr. Thank You. And if you like these kind of films, I mean, you probably already know Yasujiro Ozu. So go watch more of his stuff. Early. It's awesome. Hey, I think man. this might be the year, Jared. Never, never a bad time to get in some feel good movies that are secretly not feel good. <laughs> that's true. That's but true. That's what I've been watching. Um. Um, I have uh, quite a few things here. I don't have a ton to say about them because they're all movies that are like, mm-hmm. duh. You know what I mean? Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes. Duh. Uh, Battle Royale. Yo. Duh. Um, Let's get you into Pete Takeshi. 2022, Kevo watches Takeshi Kitano. I think that this is the year of my Takeshi Kitano journey because this guy is oh. absolutely unreal. We saw him in Johnny Mnemonic a couple weeks ago. What was he doing in there? Um, but his performance in Battle Royale is just on another level, especially when it comes mm-hmm. back around to him at the end. Mm-hmm. Good Lord, man. It's something else, that guy. I I obviously, you know, for all the cliches, you know, um, and the ripoffs and derivative content and the Hunger Games and Fortnite and what have you. Uh, there, there's so much in Battle Royale that hasn't been ripped off. It's, it's oh, yeah. actually pretty amazing. And uh, it speaks to the greatness of the film. There's that no is another way to put it. Incredibly intense film, I can tell you that much. The Lighthouse with the, with the, the group in the Lighthouse. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh-huh. Seeing that for the first time. Seeing that for the first time um, was, I know I, what's going to happen and I'm not ready for it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I watched the special edition, which came with the basketball game um, stuff, which was curious, but I didn't think it was bad. I thought it helped kind of tie it all together. Uh, However, the impact of the ending of the movie is kind of taken away because of the epilogue. There are two epilogues. One wraps up the basketball game and the other is like back in uh, the Mm -hmm. kind of Japan on the run. Um, And it's not needed. I didn't need it. I felt complete. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. I remember that standing out, but it did, when I watched it the first time, it didn't bug me as much. Was it just like, you know, it was superfluous? It wasn't terrible. It, they were good scenes, but I was like, I didn't really need to see it. Uh, you could have lost it and I would have been fine with it. And that's that. And that's Battle Royale. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, The thing about Battle Royale is I just don't have a lot new to bring to it. Mm-hmm. It's just wonderful stuff. Um, I did my annual watch of 727-1978, which is a YouTube video by the comedy collective known as Lasagna Cat, a subsection of Fatal Farms. Um, it's an hour-long monologue by John Blythe Barrymore about the Garfield comic from 1978, where John can't find his pipe and who has his pipe, why it's Garfield. Um, Jared's wincing face tells <laughs> no, me. No, you should go there. on. Um it's a really beautifully done thing. They set it to usually it's like they reenact a script uh, on stage with like a guy playing John and a guy in a grotesque Garfield costume or Odie depending. Mm-hmm. And um, this time they did. Usually it's like, you know, it's a comic about Garfield drinking coffee and his eyes getting big. So it's eyes without a face and the pupils <laughs> float around until his eyes pop out. <laughs> But this one was a part of the reboot 10 years after the first batch of these. Jared remembers the day they did a another set. And the big finale of the set was this hour long monologue where he basically talks about how John is man, innocent, ignorant, and, and Garfield is the devil tempting 
John to ask where his pipe is. It never would have occurred to John and all this stupid shit. It's basically like the most nightmarish freelance pitch Polygon ever received, um, <laughs> but as a video. So highly recommend that. It's always one of my favorite movies of the year when I watch it, and I could watch it every year, and it'll never get old, even though it's kind of stupid. Yeah, hi, Rock. Um, <laughs> I'll put I it mean, in the show notes. Please do. Everyone should experience this video at least once. I think I've watched um, it. I think I've watched it twice myself. I feel like it's hard to come, unless you're a real freak like me, it's hard to come back to more than twice. Yeah. I can't, I want to do it. I want to watch it again just because it has been a while, but at the same time, I don't know if I'm going to like pay attention as much as I did the last t- two times. Now, where could my pipe be? <laughs> um, it's actually pretty amazing. The YouTube speed thing was installed in between watches for me. So I kicked this thing up to two X and I was zooming with John Barrymore. Uh, what else do I have here? Um, the tragedy in Macbeth. You should watch that. And then we should talk about it. Cause it's fucking good in my opinion. Oh, I know. I know. I really want to watch it, man. Hey, we did a production of Macbeth in a stark German expressionist void. Eh. Um, the act, uh, the one thing I'll say before you watch it, and this is just a general thing for people who haven't seen it yet. Um, I have a feeling that Joel Cohen directed these guys to do a stage production of Macbeth and then he'll figure out the rest. Um, they are acting like they're on stage, which is to a viewer at face value off putting and odd. Um, but it's a really well done adaption of Macbeth. If you know, you know, and, uh, for me, good news. So I'm curious to hear what you think. What? Sorry. I did not mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. But I found out it's on Apple TV. So that means yeah, it's I'm, on Apple TV Plus. I did not know that. I'm going to start a free trial and watch it within the next few days. I highly recommend. It's the house that Finch built. Uh, <laughs> but let me tell you, I know you better than to recommend Finch because you'd fucking hate that. Immediately opens with Tom Hanks singing American Pie. You'd fucking hate it. <laughs> you wouldn't make it past that, in my opinion. Oh, I thought you were talking about, uh, oh man, for some reason when you said Finch, I just started thinking about David Fincher. It's like, oh, David Fincher would have made a Macbeth play? No. I wonder no. what that would look like, but no, um, no, I took it the wrong way. It's a pretty literal version of Macbeth and it's pretty good. We'll talk about it when you watch it. So wait, Finch is the one, um, yeah, Finch is what we Finch talked is about the Tom Chappie, Hanks, right? the Tom Hanks and Chappie movie. Yeah. Wow. That was only like, <laughs> that was like how many episodes ago? I already just deleted Finch from my brain. It was before Christmas. I also, everyone deleted Finch from their brain. <laughs> the Alamo Drafthouse ran a really obnoxious promotion where they were like, hey, you're going to see Finch? You're going to see Finch? It's like, bitch, no one's even seeing Finch at home. <laughs> do you think Tom I, Hanks is going to like do another pretty cool mo- movie again? I think Finch is a, hey, listen, in another time, in another world, Finch is a pretty cool movie. Um... <laughs> Chappie soiled the waters. Just dropped trout right there in the middle of the stream. (laughs) Um, What I would like to do right now, Jared, is I want to talk about Scream 5, but we don't have a lot to say, I feel like. I mean... So, could we avoid spoilers for Scream 5 and just speak uh, generally about it? Sure. Sure, we can do Um, do that. Because, oh, no, we can't. (laughs) Have you seen Scream 4? Same goddamn thing, but even dumber. Um, There you go. All right, so stay tuned. We just 
talked about Scream 5 for a while, so that's fun. That'll be after the show. So you'll hear the outro music, and then stay tuned, and you'll hear us. We really loved it. <laughs> oh, great movie. It does everything I wanted with the property. Yikes. I feel like you I hate love- it on the... You hate it before we went into the clip as well, so that's great. <laughs> What's the truth, Kevin? Nobody knows. You have to what? listen to the end. Oh, God. Um, before we take a break and go into Amadeus, we got an email from our friend uh, Remnant. And I just want to go through some of his mail here. Hey, Ammonite Movie Night, he writes. Currently workshopping a way to make voicemails quicker. Remnant, you could take as much time as you want, bud. We love them and we love hearing them. Mm-hmm. And we do the show on Zoom now. I don't know why we didn't. I don't know why we didn't before, but it's super easy for us to listen to them. And uh, if people don't like it, they can fuck off, as Logan Roy says. <laughs> okay, make no mistake, please. We love you. Uh, in the meantime, hope this email finds you well. And he sent us a list of questions that we're just going to answer one by one. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, question one: When is Jared's letterbox reveal? <laughs> all right, all right. I'll leave it in the show notes. But yeah. if you want me to spell it out, on want me to spell it out. Uh, letterbox.com slash b-i-g-o-z-z-y slash big ozzy my name is weird bastard harv weird bastard harv on letterbox it's jared yeah man i will uh also in the coming weeks there'll be an ammonite ink letterboxed uh and that'll be a ton of fun so check the show notes for that check the show notes for that uh stuff uh number two check (laughs) wait (laughs) all right there'll be a um contest every week can you tell who wrote the little the little blurb for the Ammonite letterboxed uh review. It will it be too obvious? Will it be too subtle? Never. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that's that's a great idea. We'll we'll continue discussion on that off air because I agree with you actually. Um, Ammonite Inc. Letterbox for uh Ghostbusters Afterlife. Fuck you. We Listen were not gonna, to more. No. We, we would never <laughs> no. we would never cover that. No. We would I know better than to book that on the show. Are you high? <laughs> um, all right number two any update on the japanese johnny mnemonic cut quest um cory and i ta- friend of the show cory and i talked about it after that episode went up and apparently it's not a ton of stuff although i i haven't found it yet hmm i haven't been able to really look around myself i uh i put on, i i put it on uh not not uh not this past week but the one before just threw it on just to like, have on in the background so that kind of counts Right? Um, we're, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, he also writes, I've been listening to the Amadeus soundtrack since watching it a month ago. And prior to watching it, I'd never really been a classical music person. Hope you guys like it more than David Copperfield. I sure did. Um, I don't think David Copperfield is a bad movie. I think it's got a lot of the, the pacing of it. it really just like I couldn't I couldn't cling to it. I couldn't love it because it was too fast. Yeah. Um, I will, I will also say, I don't know where else to put this, uh, matinee, whatever I said on the show about making it a four and a half star movie is stupid. That guy sucks. Matinee is a five star classic and you have to see it. Um, let's see. He has an anecdote here about Mark Hamill who did play Mozart on Broadway and Amadeus, um, playing Mozart prepared him for the role as Joker due to Mozart's trademark laugh, which I'll insert a clip of here. Which is pretty funny. That makes so that makes so much sense. I understand everything. <laughs> it's true. It's pretty good. That's so good. And the and the the actor who plays Mozart in the movie is pretty close with it too. Oh yeah. More in that. How do you minute. pronounce his, How do you pronounce his last name? It's like Tom Hulse. Hulse? 
Okay, Hulse. Okay. I have Hulse, yeah. All right, I was getting Hulch for a bit. Um, would love to see a Mobile Suit Gundam movie episode with your friend as a guest. Now, one of my big resolutions for Ammonite Movie Night was to start having guests on the show, and I think we should have Corey on for either Endless Waltz or Char's Counterattack. Let's do uh, let's do Endless Waltz. That one's a lot more fun. We'll figure it out. We're calling you out, Corey. <laughs> Corey, come on, let's talk about the best Christmas movie ever made. I will take a nap. Um, <laughs> Remnant also notes that his favorite first time watch, you know, I went through a few of those last week and what you've been watching. His favorite first time watch of last year was 1984 Streets of Fire, the punk rock musical starring a young Willem Dafoe. Fuck yeah. Which I think is a really up our alley kind of movie. I think it stars our one of our favorite actors, Willem Dafoe. Very curious. We haven't done it in any kind of context or any kind of reason. I, I guess we don't have a choice. It's very we curious. Watch Streets of Fire. It's very curious. That it almost as if we're withholding movies starring Willem Dafoe on purpose. Hmm. I wonder why. Oh, is it because Streets of Fire is is like you know it kind of reminds you of Double Dragon, the other 1980s classic about punching guys in an alleyway. Jared, your joke That's is what? about Streets of Rage. <laughs> Look, rage, fire. It's like it's the same thing. I watched Avatar: The Last Airbender. That's how I know this. You know, anyway. I didn't. I didn't. So, but be careful if you criticize it. They'll get you. They'll come for oh. you. Oh no! Uh, only halfway done with the matinee episode, but love it so far. Thank you, Remnant. Remnant, yeah, it's always great to hear from you, bud. Um, Remnant just watched the new Planet of the Apes movies for the first time. Now that requel's pretty damn good. Well, mostly because it's not a requel; it's a prequel. It's a reinterpretation, almost. It's kind of like the Hannibal series, where it's a prequel that will lead to retellings. But they didn't. Yeah. Thankfully, they they knew when to stop. I have not. Well, I've not gone on the voyage through that movie. My those movies myself. So, yeah, 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 Fuck. Kevo. Are you kidding? Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get there but i'm also like i don't know about rise because i mean james franco is very good in it but it's not like you uh okay i'll i'll deal that with that myself mm-hmm. you have to see rise because of the john lithgow performance mm-hmm. no 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 <laughs> um, all right jared do you have anything else before we take a break nah ready to ready to talk about amadeus hell yeah man i'm so ready like i'm like I'm glad I waited until like the Saturday before we did this, but I am so ready to talk Amadeus. Uh, so we oh, will yeah. take we will take a break right now, and when we return, we will be discussing Milos Forman's masterpiece, Amadeus. All right, everybody, welcome back to Ammonite Movie Night. Our feature presentation tonight, Jared. Last summer we picked Pirates of the Caribbean two and three. And that was God's promise to us that it would never happen again. I felt my brain capsize roughly in the middle part, discussing the uh, world world's end. Just my brain just went. <laughs> <laughs> so with that in mind, we thought one week out of the month, we're going to switch off picking a super long movie and we'll talk about it. I took this opportunity to pick Milos Forman's Amadeus, a movie that Jared, I know, loves very much. And that I had been, mm-hmm. like, everyone in my life was like, what are you doing? You have to watch Amadeus. Would you say this is this Amadeus, just to start, would you say this is kind of like Toy Story for adults? You know, 
Jared's had that in the chamber. You know, we talked about doing Amadeus like a month ago, and Jared has had that locked in the chamber. I'm looking at his little, this little, uh, this roguish grin on Jared's face. It's a real shame you can't see it. It's been a solid week and a half of just sitting on that one going, yeah. Oh my God. Oh, that's funny. You know what I was amazed by? A couple of Mm. things. Number one, I was amazed. We'll get into the synopsis in a second. But number one, I was amazed this movie was distributed by Orion, who brought us Bill and Ted and RoboCop and some of the best movies of this period. UHF with Weird Al, which was one of their biggest losses, but we have it now. First Blood, Terminator uh, Terminator 1. Terminator 1. Yeah, just just one. Um, Dances with Wolves. That's right. Uh, Rip Orion will never be the same again, but uh, thank you for everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And number two, you know, growing up, I was a big fan of Mr. Show with Bob and David, which was a kind of postmodern sketch show that started the careers of Bob Odenkirk, David Cross, Paul F. Tompkins, Capital Rioter Jay Johnston from Bob's Burgers, um, uh, Tom Kenny, SpongeBob SquarePants himself, and his wife, Jill Talley, who's also an accomplished voice actress, uh, Jack Black, Sarah Silverman, uh, just a whole bunch of people. And one of the sketches was called Falooza. And it was a very bizarre short about two marching band music composers, one of whom was a buff- stop me if you've heard this one before. One of whom was a buffoon, the other functional, formal, but mediocre. And it's about his quest to overcome Falooza and his success and is a parody of Amadeus. And the whole time I'm sitting there like, oh my God, Falooza is literally Amadeus. <laughs> like, well, well, Falooza is marching band music. And they had, it's, it's Bob Odenkirk as Falooza and David Cross as the Salieri character. Mm-hmm. And the way that Falooza writes his marching band music is he literally goes like, <laughs> like literally like miming the symbols like a child. <laughs> but other than that, I had already seen Amadeus. It's kind of like uh, The Shining for you. No, you know what? You're absolutely right. Those five second bunny shorts totally killed The Shining for me mm. in the same way. Mm. It didn't. Okay. It didn't totally kill either film, right? You see Amadeus and it's this like staggering masterpiece uh, still. But it did disarm me a little bit. All work and no beer makes Homer a dull boy. Don't mind if I do. Um, (laughs) All right. Before we get into the full talk about Amadeus, I do want to give a little synopsis because I picked it. Um, So it is 1823 and Antonio Salieri has attempted to kill himself. Admitted to a psychiatric hospital, he begins to tell the appointed priest the story of his epic rivalry with the brutish um immature childish wolfgang amadeus the gremlin he is a gremlin wolfgang amadeus mozart and that's the movie for three hours that is the movie yeah it's it covers a lot of ground (laughs) wouldn't you say the thing is is that it never (laughs) i saw this on saturday morning and it flew by oh yeah blinked and like a half hour was gone I couldn't believe it. It was so, um, it was so wonderful. The scope was so huge. The costumes and sets were so beautiful. Some of the sets were literally the theaters in which his operas were performed. Mm-hmm. You know how cool was that? And seeing the history in the world, it, it reminded me of a movie that we'll do a little later this year, I think, called Topsy Turvy. Hell yes. Which I know I've talked to you about before, which is Mike Lee's um, movie about the creation of the Mikado. From a, from a little later than this, we've uh, you've 
I, it's been on my list for a while, but I've held back just because I know you want to watch it. So I was like, let's let's talk about it together for so others can hear it. That's my Amadeus, and we'll talk about yeah. it then. But anyway, it reminded me of like, it's also not a movie about the 1800s classical composers, right? It's Toy yeah. Story. It's about a guy who's safe in his station, and there's a new hotness that comes in. He totally blows everybody away with beautiful compositions that even Salieri himself can't deny. Mm -hmm. And so he steps in the way and he regrets his awful destructive behavior in the end. Although, you know, Buzz didn't get murked. (laughs) Buzz Lightyear didn't work himself to death. (laughs) Can you imagine Tim Allen doing that? Oh, no. Oh no! It would he just already be... killed his wife on this show. Are we gonna have him kill Mozart too? <laughs> Could you imagine instead of just that shriek? Just ah, I'm not even. Try- I'm gonna just destroy my voice doing that. I'm not making any of his noises tonight. No Tim Allen from me. Thanks. But yeah, it's it's funny. It's this is as much about um, Salieri as it is Mozart. Mozart, obviously, it's from looking from an outside what Salieri interprets Mozart to be. Right, and of course. At the core, it's about one guy trying to decide if he fucking hates that guy for being so much better than him or secretly wanting to be connected to with him in some way. It's it's really a powerful movie. I mean, I was surprised to see that F. Murray Abraham was credited above Tom Hulse in the credits until you watch the film and you realize it is not a movie about Mozart. It's a movie about the mythical Amadeus that exists in Salieri's mind. Mm -hmm. Mozart lives so rent-free in this dude's head, even though he's doing totally fine. Salieri lives in a manner. He's the composer for The King, unfortunately played by Jeffrey Jones. We'll get into it. Um, He's great in that role. Holy shit. (laughs) He is is a great actor. He's great in Ed Wood as Criswell as well. Yes! Oh my god, another great one. It's unfortunate that he pled no contest to child pornography charges, which is why I say it's unfortunate. Well, we'll we'll talk about the acting and the work he's done rather than the person. don't really need to discuss it beyond that, but it's unfortunate. Yeah. I think it's just Salieri has no reason really, right? Because how long did Mozart really have? The marriage of Figaro would have, you know, gotten him kicked out of... Vienna anyway. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all of um Salieri's doing it. He's sort of helping Mozart succeed in little ways. Just the sheer fact that Mozart's allowed in the room with um with the Emperor means he's gonna succeed. Because the Emperor I don't know what read you got on this character. I took him to be a kind of dull man in the sense of like, um Salieri says straight up, he has no ear for music. And I like that as a little jab at, oh, well, maybe Mozart's only loved so much because the emperor has no ear for music, but we all know that's not true. I think it's, I think it's less that he has a tin ear for music and more just he hasn't reached Salieri's level of pure, mediocre contentment with his own self. He's still a beginner. He's still a learner. He's listening to Mozart and going, wow, that's so cool. I want to do stuff like that. And Salieri cannot imagine himself doing anything like that. He can only imagine working within the box he exists in, and Mozart exists everywhere outside that box. And it works. Oh, yes. Um, I, I, I just... Hmm. Where should we begin? Because I want to talk about Salieri's relationship with God. Because almost it's almost like... I know we made a big deal about it being about the Amadeus that lives rent-free in his head and stuff. But is it Amadeus... Or is, or does he believe that Mozart is God acting on Earth, 
in spite of him, because he does not interfere with Mozart's life to spite Mozart. He does it uh, in defiance of a contract with God that obviously didn't work out. It's him reckoning with his own sense of entitlement. He deserves it. He's so talented, he can... He definitely thinks he's the only one able to hear Mozart's genius for what it is. He's that guy. Only I get it. And that's why I hate it and I must destroy it. He's, he's your an average neighborhood radiohead enjoyer. Yeah. Hi. Um, <laughs> that he, wasn't for you. That wasn't at you, but you get it. Oh. <laughs> but it shows up at the very end where, well, Mozart's in, Mozart's in bed, sick. And you can see he's enjoying, um, Salieri is enjoying writing with Mozart. The one thing that brings, it da- brings the walls down is art. The music that they love together and Mozart, mozart's not pretentious about it he's not an ass he's just so good it's definitely like with that scene where he and mozart like you know go back and forth even shows towards the end of it before mozart gets too tired that he was starting to understand where mozart was coming from he was starting to comprehend the piece of genius that mozart that he could grasp from mozart it's the kind of thing where if he stuck around with mozart even a day longer two days who knows what kind of person he would slowly become he doesn't have anything against Mozart as a person. He just hates that the sound of God has come through something that's not what he expects it to come from. Right, which is his voice, his talent, mm-hmm. his kind of uh, plain piano that the, the the emperor can't even kind of play. He can just mm-hmm. about plunk it out on Mozart's way into the palace room. It's all about his ego and what he thinks he deserves. And Mozart was, uh, was killed for it, unnecessarily. He was driven in circles. He was even manipulated into writing Requiem because of Salieri. What a goofy, you know, you really can never do, I mean, this is obviously fiction and conjecture and it's just a fake, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff, Salieri was a guy, was a real person mm-hmm. and there was a rivalry with Mozart, but it wasn't, we didn't know all of this other stuff that was made up for the play. Oh yeah. In the film. This is all just for, you know. I have kind of a goofier question sure. to get us out of kind of the serious conversation. Uh, sure. You really could never dress up like a ghost and come to somebody's front door anymore, could you? Um, I wish. <laughs> I would, I, honestly, if I had that same experience, I'd probably be very uncomfortable, but I wouldn't write a damn play. It's like, no, I see what's going on here. It's the guy from the play. It's literally like uh, two years later, Darth Vader would come down from the planet Vulcan to tell George McFly <laughs> to go to the prom. And they're just as believable as each other. I thought that was so crazy. <laughs> well, oh man, on the subject of that suit with like the, the, the uh, happy face on front, sad face in the back. Amazing. The amount of co- the comedic timing. This is an obvious, it's a satire where it's obviously bald face making fun of <clears throat> high society, but it also has jokes like, it has a sense of timing. There's that one part of um, where Mozart sees his father in outfit across the room, and he sees the mask is facing with a sad face, cuts to Tom Holtz just, like, frowning. It turns around. Oh, the happy face. He grins. Takes off the mask. It's his father under there, pissed as hell. <laughs> That's so... That got me good. Same. That was hilarious. It was really funny. And they also did something similar earlier when um, his wife brought... The manuscripts gave it gave it to him. And he's looking through, and you can see he's having a he's having a, a little orgasm as he reads and he's hears the music. And it, you see down to his wife, and she's just glaring at him. Her hand reaches out, snaps another snack, and just like greedily shoves it in her mouth and pretends nothing happened. Little goofy bits, jokes that also you know add to the idea that uh, they're all kind of stupid and pathetic and weird. Also, 
the very obvious contrast between the man Mozart thought his father was and who he actually is, kind of just a sniveling guy. But, you know, when you're terrified of a dude, he appears at the top of your steps in black, and when you approach him for a hug, he wraps you in his cape. Right. Which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, just as a singular scene, obviously with the music, but woof. Get to see two sides of a character, and he barely does much. He kisses a man's ring, and then he shows up as a, as a ghost in black, and he's not even dead. What'd you like about F. Murray Abrams acting the most? For me, it was his hands. Oh my god. For me, it was, like, just his face. He gets so much... There's, like... Man, I've liked F. Murray Abraham before. He's in Ammonite Fave. He's the subject of the best joke in Ammonite Fave, Last Action Hero. <laughs> Where the kid has seen a movie with F. Murray Abraham in it where he plays a traitor. So he goes to Arnold. You can't trust him. (laughs) At least I think that was him. Well, it's even funnier now. (laughs) I hope hope it is or else I'm going to fucking edit the shit out of this. I just entered in F. Murray Amgraham. Don't worry. I've been calling him F. Murray Abrams. Like a certain certain JJ we know. Oh, like John Jacob Abrams? Ugh. Well, you know about his name. It's also mine. No, he wasn't. It is, it is It is. him in Last Action Hero. You know, I was already kind of a fan, but this performance of, and you're right with his hands and the way that he, like, uh, it's it's brilliant. The way that, like, he he's so obvious. He's, he keeps his face stone, but his hands emote for him. And then when he's alone, like when he's watching one of Mozart's plays, you see his face twist in agony as he realizes he'll never amount to this to this little little gremlin was dug up out of the ground (laughs) like a goblin boy and oh like um there's when he's doing his little performance when he's doing like his um he's conducting he turns around and does like all these little things with his hands like he just touches his heart so gracefully as he bows lowers his hand he look he's trying so hard to look graceful you know i went back and i'm watch. i just i hope you don't mind i'm watching again his the performance of him the, the wife has given him the manuscripts and he's just pouring over it. Mm-hmm. And again, so his old acting, it's all in the hands. Mm-hmm. And he's like brushing his face. He can't believe it. And you can see in his face, every inch of it contorting as he's just hearing Mozart's music in his mind. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, like, oh, like the beat, the beauty, the beauty. And it's God. And he's like, uh, and he's supposed to play with me. He's he tenses up immediately right after when he uh he's when he spills it all. Immediately becomes that iron face again when he asks um his wife, uh, Mozart's wife, to come meet with him later. Just that the immediate turn where he goes from like feeling something so powerful that it could only be described as this touch of God, and then sh- pins it back up, and uh, well uh, proposes to Mozart's wife. <laughs> oh my god what was that? we'll we'll get to that i did i did want to note in the scene while we're still kind of coming back to the him reading the music uh him walking away and and throwing the papers down and then she goes is it not good and he's like hello <laughs> it's mozart you know it's mozart come on you heard this stuff when you were a kid you know ba- uh what's it you Mozart's, heard this stuff when you were a kid mozart Mozart's for ready. babies or is it babies for mozart baby mozart I think it's baby Einstein. Oh. I think there's a baby Mozart. <laughs> I'm clearly the baby Einstein in this room, I guess. Goodness. I don't know what it is. I don't <laughs> know what it is, Jared. Who am I to say? Mozart in the jungle. <laughs> um, 
What were you about to say, Jared? I'm sorry. <laughs> this is just a note because I don't know where it'll come in, but obviously too many notes is a wonderful little line to think about. Too many notes. The the royal ear. Too many notes. Kevin, the royal ear can only hear so many notes. Kevin, too many notes is is what you say when you're desperately looking for a reason to burn somebody, in my opinion. Oh, yes. And all like the sniveling toadies behind the emperor just like, yeah, yeah, it's too many notes. Uh, What do you guys say? Salieri, what do you say? Is it too many notes? And you see him like momentarily shit himself. He's like, oh, uh, well, but then he gets to burn Mozart at the stake even more. God, I loved the Salieri schemes and the way they all blew up in his face. Oh, my God. Yes. Every single time. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, was it uh, of Seville? The marriage of Seville? Was that the one? It's the marriage of Fee. It's the wedding of Figaro. Yeah, sorry. And the band play. Yeah, man, I've watched too much Looney Tunes. It's, I'm going to be referring to it as the hair of Seville. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> marriage of Figaro. Which is great. Which is great about that is that it's that's a parody of the Barber of Seville, which is not the opera we're talking about. You know, you're right, but I'm still calling it the hair of Seville because. <laughs> I really like that cartoon, damn it. This is a top-rate show. Mm-hmm. Put us on the top shelf right next to your, uh... It's us, and then it's blank check. Wild turkey. Put us right up there. We, that's where we oh, belong. God. Um, there's one part where they cut from Mozart's shriek of laughter to Salieri sarcastically saying grazie to Christ on the cross. On the cross? That was the exact moment of, oh. <gasps> oh, boy. There's more to this rivalry than expected. This is not just some plain Jane, two men getting in a little spit fight because one of them wants to be the popular toy in Andy's toy box. This is a reckoning with God. Like we were, you know, saying before, he had a contract That's with That's what God. it's all about. Yeah. You want to tell me that the word of the, the, the word of God isn't coming through my hands, but instead is it coming? This guy, okay, has a wig that is two stories tall and pink and dirty. and he's puffing around he wants to fart when he's making fun of me (laughs) what is what are we doing here it's a reckoning okay if that's if that's who you want god then i will destroy him i am your enemy now i loved that that scene by the way was great when he rebukes god oh yeah he throws he throws the cross in the in the fire (sighs) that was right after uh that was right after he got the marriage of figaro off the off off the uh ground right he yeah he does this, this is really great the kind of subplot that can only be in one of these like deservedly three hour movies how rare they are you know but he gets uh, he hires Cynthia Nixon a young Cynthia Nixon Miranda from Sex and the City mm-hmm. um, which I was not prepared for I forgot she was in this and she's excellent <laughs> but she comes on as this kind of a mysterious benefactor has paid her to take care of Mozart's house I keep trying to call him Hamlet because I've been watching Station Eleven all day. <laughs> oh my god which is about post-apocalyptic hamlet um and that's how he learns about the marriage of figaro there's this amazing it's amazing jump cut from him hearing about it to him in the emperor's court saying mozart plans to put on the marriage of figaro my lord <laughs> <laughs> it's a very modern cut again it's another very modern cut oh yeah they just keep setting mozart up for, to win by putting him in front of the the goofball who wants to hire him other people I've seen say that uh, his the emperor character is like, I think he's a bit of a dumb a dummy a little bit, and his the tin eared stuff comes from inexperience, 
but I also but someone had this read where they said that he is a pretentious ass as much as everyone else in his circle, and that he really wants to be seen as cultured, so he just goes, oh, well, I'll just like whatever Mozart says, because people like him, and that will make me seem cultured. Right, because that's what's popular. Yeah. Yeah. See, I never took it like that, because his, it's, it's like, seems to be considered beautiful and noteworthy by people of lower caste slash people outside of the emperor's circle like if he's with those people for so long he's gonna go against it because his his trusted advisors say it's trash but you know maybe he's secretly that's why i don't think he's pretentious i think he's just a a a guy who likes this music he knows he knows something when he sees it Mm -hmm. (laughs) there it is salieri he's the royal composer because his stuff you can hear it in the movie is kind of dry and regal and it does that job fine yeah but everyone in the community knows salieri is a bit of a he's uh, a snob he's a guy he's fraser yeah <laughs> right um meanwhile mozart is kind of the new thing and it's also very hip so it benefits the emperor to embrace mozart sure and then he has salieri as the royal composer to kind of you know do his regal little marches yeah check out the contrast between like the plunky little rendition of the very ornate theme when mozart is stumbling around stepping all over his shoes and shit the first time we see him that that image of like the crossed uh sabers in front of the the royal office door or whatever mm-hmm. they nearly take his nose off like, it's like it's it's you, you you can't that's the whole movie yeah pretty much <laughs> they uh Wanted to note his, um, from the very beginning that he's consistently called out as a circus performer because, you know, his dad drags him along, makes him play for emperors and popes, and he's made fun of it. That's right. And it, I just like that at the very end, he himself still is a little circus monkey. But, you know, instead of, um, instead of his father dragging him to emperors and popes and making him do his dance, he drags his dad to his audience of similar clowns and then he puts on a show for his clown friends also his dad is there who really wants to go home that's right i would really i would like us to return to vienna father no papa i need a penalty and he stamps his foot it uh it sets the really it sets the groundwork for like the whole like the way that mozart's clearly looking for some kind of guidance and salieri despite seeing himself as lesser takes that position a few times with it willingly or otherwise. I do also like that Salieri admired Mozart greatly as a child mm-hmm. and his father literally calls him a circus show. Yeah. And so he tries to adopt. It's about also about two men who are just trying to appeal to fathers who will never fully understand them. Yeah. They're more alike than, than they realize, which is what it's all about. Of course. Also. Deep to- it's, a, it's a big movie. <laughs> yeah. What if uh, what if Barry Lyndon was about two people instead of one? I haven't seen Barry Lyndon, so I can't t- I can't tell. Oh, that's my bad. Oops. <laughs> I have it here in shrink wrap. All right, I'm gonna put a pin in that one just because I'd rather you watch it before I say anything else. We'll touch on Barry Lyndon. Sure. There'll be a time I think for Barry Lyndon to appear. A time, a place for the biggest loser in all of cinema to get his moment. <laughs> um i don't know what other notes do i have some kind of strand strand you know stray thoughts real quick uh, i had always thought that rock me amadeus was written for this film it was written in reaction to this film mm-hmm. but what a great 
song to you could really couldn't have had a better contemporary single to describe uh, Amadeus, you know? Guess who's never heard that song? You've never heard Rock Me Amadeus. Yeah. Christ. See, this is why I got to I got to I got to Kevin, you don't know how many steel trap on you. You don't know how many things I just I think to myself it's like, ah, I should mention that. I could save it for the show. And that was one of them. You've never. There's a chance I've heard. There's a solid chance I've heard it, but I'm just, I just don't recognize it. I'm just not thinking about it. All right. Well, warning everyone. Kevin is reaching through the screen. He's grabbing my head. He is now. Um, do you remember the Simpsons planet of the apes where the breakdancing ape gif that I spam you comes from? Oh, I haven't seen that in years. Oh, fucks. All right. We'll get folks. Uh, we'll, Tune in next week for Jared's Rock Me Amadeus takes. Don't worry. Jared's Simpsons journey will happen soon and end pretty shortly after. Oh my god. If I could, we could, we should do an episode where I just pick five Simpsons episodes. Hell yeah. I'd I'd be down for that. That'd be fun. Stay tuned later this year. We'll we'll do it. Um, We should do that. Uh, Anyway, so how'd you like the French parody of Mozart's opera? Mozart and his wife, they go to see a, uh, it's, it's where he's convinced to come down to France and they do this kind of ridiculous parody. He becomes the circus act that Salieri's father called him all along in this later, more desperate period of his career Mm -hmm. where he just can't get a gig. He can't even teach that girl piano anymore. Oh my God. Because she, it's been like 10 years. She got married and moved on. That was, that was so so much to take in at one go. Oof. Does my pupil still want to learn piano? Your pupil is married. It's like, <laughs> goodness. Golly. Shucks, even. What a great film. And again, like, just, it just didn't stop to where, like, no wonder he's haunted. He killed, but, but, all right. So maybe we'll have this discussion. Sure. Did Salieri kill Mozart? Or did Mozart kill Mozart? That is a... Salieri... That is an ethics thing right there. I think he helped things along. I think he manipulated Mozart into an early grave. Um, With Mozart... I mean, at the same time, Salieri has a lot of pull in that world. And he actively hindered Mozart and then got involved in his life and made things worse. You You can argue that he you know, expedited the process, but I, uh, I feel like his guilt is warranted. He did all, he didn't take the knife to his chest. He didn't put the drink in his hand, but you bet he put the drink next to it, next to him. You bet. Right. He put, he came to his door and said, Hey, I know you are, I know you have a lot of other things going on, but you need to make this, this, uh, requiem for me. And he had messed up his life so much already with the, not to, right, right all before the ghost story, right? He had humiliated his wife for no reason. Mm-hmm. He had tried to sabotage the opera. Oh, he was, oh, Sa- oh, Salieri was just mad because uh, Mozart cucked him. So he wanted to do it back, but then he didn't like Mozart's wife's boobs, I guess. Yeah. Okay. What, what happened? Like, did he change his mind? Was it just like about, was it about her? Was it about the control over her knowing that she was willing to do that and then that was all he seemed to have also uh, murray abraham's performance here is brilliant because you you kind of can read that he's changed his mind also that he too is disgusted like i don't need to do i don't need to enact this is enough of the revenge yeah he realized that he didn't actually want that he wanted to be a threat he wanted to feel 
like a menace. Right. And and that first line when he, I realized he had had her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, it was just nuts. His Salieri's incel quest had, had come to a, you know, the man, fulfilling enough conclusion. The man who was cucked to death. <laughs> the- <laughs> Could you imagine being the priest also? I'm sorry. Not to like, this is a really beautiful, I think we've done a great job of being serious and funny about it. Yeah. But could you imagine being that priest sitting there listening to like, and then I, you know, I saw her topless and that was enough for me. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) Yeah. Being the priest. Could you imagine being the priest? Oh man. To be fair, to be fair. If I, if I said, oh, hey, what about, check out my art. The priest doesn't know what it is and say, oh, well, here's my worst enemies are. And the priest went, oh, I love this. I would, I would ruin the priest night too. I would just be a little passive aggressive. Tell him a story. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jared, what else do you have to talk about? Wolfgang Amadeus Amadeus. Uh, deep down, this is a movie about how mm, the vulgarity of mediocrity and, uh, ooh, my vocabulary is fa- fading. That's good. Nope. Talk, use people talk. Fuck that i'm gonna show off how smart i am by that i mean i'm gonna forget my smart words so where am i um the complacency of me of you know living in the box forever creatively is even worse than any of the garish stuff that comes out of mozart's mouth yes he's a goblin man who imitates you as he plays the piano and then just goes but that is nowhere near as horrible as Middlebrow middle brow mediocrity posing as highbrow intellectualism will ever be. That shit is a detriment on art, and it always will be. The only things to, and the only only things here to say uh, save us are a s- stupid little farting man who also happened to be one of the greatest composers ever. Well, don't worry because if you're in the mental hospital, you could be blessed, and your mediocrity will be absolved by the god of mediocrity. <laughs> Salieri in that amazing, uh, almost Jack Nicholsonian mm. moment. Hey, I mean, this is the same director from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So that's right, and it gave me some. It gave me some of those vibes. The very end, at least, mm-hmm. of this like we're living in this delusional fantasy. Finally, mm-hmm. as we see why Salieri lost his mind, <sighs> he saw someone better than him and couldn't, and just he didn't realize he could just make a friend. He couldn't handle it. He's the kind of person who could never ask for help. Because I'm going to return to it, the very end, where he and Mozart are working together. Salieri could have been something of a peer to Mozart if he just stuck around and listened and learned. But instead, complacent ego. Hell yeah. I mean, I thought I think that puts it better than I ever could. Oh. <laughs> thank you. That's a great button. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's a great button, because that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, goes without saying, this is a five out of five movie. This is great. Yeah, you're goddamn right. I wrote on Letterboxd. Uh, that this might be the last episode of Ammonite Movie Night because it's such a wonderful, perfect film about creating art and the fear of creating art mm-hmm. and the the dangers of art and and the wonders of it as well and and what happens when you put yourself out there and you're rewarded? What happens when you're too scared to put yourself out there? So you uh, put yourself out there in the bubble of safety, like mm-hmm. Salieri. You're routinely mocked and you're mediocre and serviceable and you get a decent office gig. The gu- um, the d- but, but what good is that? The di- the the dimwit on the throne thinks you're a cool guy. That's the that's it. That's the all the accolades you get. That's right. Um. Yeah. This is. I, I'm, I was staggered by this film. Five out of five. Yeah. 
It's the the dangers of letting some guy live in your head rent free. One of the the most striking scenes to me this time around is when um uh, Mozart's on his deathbed. He and he he and I've been referring to Salieri as F Murray for Murray in my notes. So I've been holding myself I've been holding myself back the last forty minutes. <laughs> but it's this it's the um towards the end where he's just like so sorry do, do you like my work? I always thought you just didn't care. He's like, <laughs> I thought you did not care for my work. Please forgive me. And you see the look in Salieri's face of, I think I messed up. That split second of, oh no, I have screwed up the last seven years of my life obsessing over this person. And he registers I'm there. I think you're a sad- he just about registers you. Yeah. I think you're a sad person. I don't think about you at all. Like, Kino. Kino cinema. Uh, yeah, I would recommend this movie to anyone with a pulse. Yeah, if you're listening to this, I mean, we also just, I mean, spoilers, these guys are uh, dead for 300 years and shit. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but absolutely see this film, this incredible, you know, I wish it were streaming somewhere. It's a real shame mm-hmm. that it's not. Um, there's no real way that I know to see the theatrical cut. The only one you could rent was the three hour long version that we watched. Mm-hmm. which is the way you should see it. Yeah. Um, the theatrical cut existed uh, just a little behind the scenes. It existed to basically get people into the theater. Uh, it was PG. So a lot of like the, the sexy stuff, not that there's much of it. And the language was removed. Um, he- <laughs> but this, this, this three hour R rated version fucking owns. They, they removed the scene where um, Mozart makes his future, his future fiance say, lick my ass backwards. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. The foul, vulgar beast to the rodent. Oh man, Mozart. Gosh, they even ah, uh, they even include a little thing for 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 Murray on the subject of vulgarity and how far and where uh, high high people will go. Anytime you anytime Salieri is uh, tempted, he puts a little sweet in his mouth with such relish. Did you notice that? I loved yes. that. The way he just like pops it in and like. You get that little bit where you sucking the end of his finger, like the little savoriness is like, oh, <laughs> you're horny, dude. But it's just wild, little thing, wild that adds so much. His his the continued idea of him being of him being outside looking in. He's always at Mozart's things, watching him. He's at the masquerade, covering his face, sucking on a little candy. The first time he sees Mozart, he's on the outside looking in, disgusted, revulsed, but also longing. Anyway, I like this movie a lot. It's Kino. It's the best. Good stuff. That was Amadeus. 10 out of 10. Very, um, I mean, I don't know. In in the age of Ammonite Movement where we picked movies beforehand, we had a lot of 10s out of 10s because I feel like we knew. Yeah. Um, but this is yet another one. Sorry, not sorry. Kino cinema, Amadeus. Uh, with that in mind, Jared, I would like you to pick heads or tails right now. All right. Heads. As we, as we look forward to next week, we're going to flip a coin. All right. Harvey, Harvey Dent over here has 50 cents. Oh, do you have a real coin? Because I was going to Google it and that's stupid. So yeah, why don't you go ahead and flip? And then if it's heads, you can go first and tell us your film for next week. If it's heads, I go first. Yep. Shoot. Tails. It's tails. Okay. Well, I have been kind of torn. You know, it's funny. 
there's a it was either going to be one movie or the other. And the other, our friend Brandon recommended in an email uh, earlier tonight. But I'm going to save that for our show, the whatever the next week is. I think the first week in February sure. show will be that film. But I was thinking about a movie that I haven't seen. I haven't touched this franchise at all. And I was thinking about the reviews of this film that I've been reading. And I want to read one from a friend of the show. Sure. Uh, I don't know if he listens to the show. He will be listening next week, so a little nervous. <laughs> Our, my friend from the 70mm Discord, Mikey P. He wrote about this film in a five-star review last February. I want this movie grinded up and shot into the atmosphere with my ashes so that we can rain down upon the world in splendor. I like that. At one point, at one point in the million watches as a kid, I dreamed of showing my own kids this film. That day was today. There is nothing more to live for. Next rainstorm, look to the sky and feel us both upon your faces. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Jared, my pick for next week at 93 minutes is a 1990 film by Steve Barron. It's got Judith Hogue. It's got Elias Kotias. It's got Corey Feldman. It's got uh, future canceled Elmo Muppeteer Kevin Clash. Mm-hmm. Not- it's got a young Sam Rockwell, Skeet Ulrich. In what must be a cameo, Kevin Eastman. Oh. Because next week, we are watching the original live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Let's go. Yo, I have never watched that. Me neither. And everyone was crazy. I teased it in the 70mm Discord, and everyone was like, what? No way. Have you never seen it? And we're fixing it. Don't worry. Don't, and that's next week. Don't worry, Kevo. I haven't heard Rock Me Amadeus. So you're all clear. Well, I'll send that to you when we're done. <laughs> all right. So... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is my pick. Jared, what have you got? What do I got, Kevin? I, what I, all right, I have something. Alejandro Gonzalez Inuarto's classic film, The Revenant. We're doing The Revenant? Is The Revenant, how long is The Revenant? You're going to make me watch The Revenant? 160. Fuck. Nah, no, it's way too long. Davy Jones rule, Damn. bro. Davy Jones rule is like 215. The <sighs> Revenant is too long and too dense. I will do The Revenant on this show, but it is a Davy Jones rule. Uh, I wanted to watch it more for the fact that I've one, I've never seen it, and two, I'm talking I want to talk about DiCaprio here, and I say he's hunky. We'll get there, but, but unfortunately, you are disqualified for the JV Jones rule. Oh, uh, well, I guess we'll have to go with the other classic, Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. <laughs> yeah! Okay, I don't even care how long Birdman Two is. Two hours. Let me, like, Two hours. For the search. All right. That's an excellent compromise. What a combo. I'm going to wrap my head around this. Um. I'm, exci- I'm excited because... <laughs> I really like I really like this movie, and I know a lot of people who don't. I'm really sorry to screw you over about the revenant. No, it's okay. We'll do it another time. It is the rules, and not this week. I'm also Please. I'm also. It's just how much are we going to have to say about the revenant that you know requires a full segment? I'll tell you right now. I fucking hate the revenant. Shit, I can't stand it. Uh, I was bored to tears. I was like, am I stupid? Oh, man. I think you'll like it. 
Ouch. We'll do the Revenant someday. <laughs> I fucking hate oh, it. Oh, I'm probably gonna hate it even more. I'm just, I just haven't, yeah. I'm just haven't seen it. I want to see it. And also, also, I did want that bait of, oh man, where it's an Inura, it's an Iritu film, not Birdman. I liked that fake out, but it failed. So I guess we're actually doing Birdman. I'm down. If you want to do Birdman, oh, hell yeah. we will do what a combo. Okay. So that's it. Next week on Ammonite Movie Night, we are doing Birdman <laughs> or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which I believe, is that it? Yes. And the original live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Why? Because that's the format of the show. We don't tell each other what we do, and that's how we do it. I am so excited for this whiplash. My head is going to spin 360 degrees when we're done with this. Everybody who's excited about us doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is going to have to sit through 45 minutes of Birdman talk, oh. and that is worth it all, oh, in my opinion. most definitely. You know what? I'm happy it's not Revenant talk, because going from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which seems like, you know, a fun, fast-paced action adventure, to immediately pushing my face into the ground, I, it might not be a good idea to put that on uh, on recording. It might, might be an accident, a mistake, It's a will. brutal watch. It's a brutal watch, so I'm happy we pivoted to uh, something a little lighter fare, but we'll... Uh, you, you, you've seen Birdman. Oh, we, I like, we're both Team Birdman. I like Birdman a lot. We're both Team Birdman. I might Honestly, I might watch The Revenant on my own, just because I might just throw it on the background while I do literally anything else. Like, I'll just... I think it's something. a great... For, for you personally, it's a great, like, inking yeah. situation. Yeah, you think? Where, like, you... There's a lot of audio. I mean, it's... I didn't think it was like a terrible movie. I just hated watching it. Yeah, I understand that. I, I, I appreciate the technique and how it was made and the everything, the work behind it, but it was is not a movie I found pleasurable to watch. Um or appreciated it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want another But I'm I'm curious. Uh what's that movie with Mads Mikkelsen? Yeah, I know that's a great way to start. Um he was like a he was like a dude in Norway with a sword, doesn't have much to say. Oh, from last year? No, this was a while ago. I'm just, I'm Googling this right now. We're making this. There are a couple of those. Yeah, I know. Mads Mikkelsen is a weird guy who hangs out. Now, I was going to suggest this other movie that's in a similar vein, but in my opinion, was pretty good. But I don't have it on hand, and I think we're getting a little sleepy, so. We're getting a little sl- I have to, I'm, I might start editing tonight, so. Sick. All right, so next week, ladies and gentlemen, another whiplash. We're doing, we're doing Birdman, baby. <sighs> Uh, Ammonite movie night all star. Although I don't think we've covered Michael Keaton yet. We have not, but we love him. We love him so, and this is one of his best performances. Um, leads an ensemble with Emma Stone and Edward Norton, and I think Zach Galifianakis for a minute. And it's a big ensemble. It's a great, it's a wonderful film. And uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which we haven't seen, and uh, it's a shot in the dark, but it's going to be total fun. Oh hell yeah! So won't you join us next week for that as we dissect art and then have a pizza? <laughs> they didn't have pizza in Birdman. All right, everybody, have a good night. Uh, oh, stay tuned for Scream Talk because I moved the Scream Talk to after the music so that you could. As Logan Roy says, fuck off. (laughs) And uh, we could talk about how much we loved Scream 5. So enjoy that. All right. That's about it. Say goodnight, Jared. Oh, goodnight, Jared.
here's a little thing I want to put at the end of the episode, and if you're still listening, you can enjoy this or you can't. Because I think that's pretty much all we have to say about Scream 5. Yeah. If you're listening to this, thank you for continuing to listen to Ammonite Movie Night. This is a special post-credits brief discussion, while we still have a lot of energy, about Scream 5. Jared, Jack Quaid is too famous to be Ghostface. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It is a bunch of... It is... Okay. One of the Ghostfaces was the girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood who got her face burnt off. And guess what they did it again. I, I did I did laugh at that, but it only brought up in stark contrast how famous Jack Quaid is in comparison to these kids. Right? Now, now I have friends, dear friend of the show, Dale, you know, li- loves genre movies and liked it pretty much as much as I did. Um, but he doesn't watch The Boys, so he didn't really know Jack Quaid. But I, I feel like if you're uh, the kind of person who would go see Scream and you're like a kid, you know Jack Quaid. You know him from The Boys or you know him from other stuff. Yeah. It doesn't help that he's also our age. So like seeing him hang out out like a sore fucking thumb. Oh yeah. With these children. Yeah. He, he also just has like famous person face. Like if you, and it, and it really sticks out when you put him next to any of the other characters that aren't the three, the three characters we care about. He just has, he just looks like someone you would know. And that makes him a terrible serial killer because the point is to not be known. Yeah, and I feel like making it the girl who was sending, who she was texting with at the beginning, mm-hmm. way too obvious of a of a uh, red herring. Oh yeah, because you're like, oh, it can't be her, but oh, it must. I, I feel like my, the whole time I was like, it's not going to be David Arquette, is it? And that was the mystery. Yeah, I am very surprised. I'm very surprised. Oh, can we talk spoilers? We are in end. it, Jared. This oh. is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening to Ammonite Movie Night. Goodbye and shit. We did it already. <laughs> We love Domineus. Go ahead. Do you think so? Do you think uh, Dave Arquette wanted to get out of the franchise, or do you think this was like we should do this? No, I think they're disconnecting now. I think that these people—they're realizing how old these people are. They're realizing how likely it is that they will continue the franchise. Which it did. It did, it did thirty million over the weekend. Which in January for Scream during Omicron is fucking sensational to me. Oh yeah, um, especially because they didn't do a streaming partner like idiots. Everyone would have been talking about this movie if it was streaming. The fact that it, the fact that HBO HBO Max had, I think it had three of the three of the Scream films, but it didn't bother like trying to you know pop this one on the, in their little docket. I don't know. That seems like a stupid. Well, thing to Warner have done. doesn't. I feel like Warner they had already spent an, they had already hemorrhaged enough potential box office with the Matrix. Mm. They were probably just like, oh, whatever. Um, we can't really afford to acquire. I mean, and the searchlight deal brought them the last duel. Mm. It brought them free guy in a couple weeks with Ryan Reynolds. <gasps> um, what's the other one that's coming out in a few weeks from 20th century? Shit. West Side Story is coming. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one that I that I just noticed today that I was like, oh shit, this is a big surprise. Oh, so- Nightmare Alley is coming February 1st. We should cover it. So wait, wait, wait. Back to Scream. Anyway, five. Scream Five. They, they didn't. They didn't do it. It was a huge mistake. Yeah. So this was just a retread of Scream 4. Exactly, yeah. But worse because it's one it's tried to it tried to poke fun at like, you know, elevated horror, but then it went absolutely nowhere with the concept and instead made a really weird jab at Lum, their terms requills and the audacity of doing such a thing how many weeks after Matrix Resurrections? Well, they didn't they couldn't have known that, right? Oh no. But it's still really fucking funny. 
let me let me ask you something about this whole the requel thing because honestly it, it reminded me of like a video game who's making fun of tutorials a half hour into a 90 minute tutorial segment yeah you know what i mean oh yeah this like this was that oh isn't it so funny we're doing tutorials now play another hour of them yeah Whereas, whereas um, Matrix Res- Resurrections went into the concept with an idea and something it wanted to use and something it wanted to say, you were using the ideas of a reboot sequel. This was exactly what you said. Aren't tutorials stupid? Anyway, you have to go through this tutorial. Right, exactly. Although, um, although we disagree on kind of the finer points of the Matrix, I do agree that that's some of the better ideas to come of all this. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just so crazy to see in stark relief, like... I know we don't agree on Ghostbusters, right? But to see Ghostbusters, which was at least an effort um, to do a requel, right? And, uh, you know, you, we can we can have our disagreements there. Um, I'm going to come back to Ghostbusters in a second. Uh, and then to have uh, The Matrix subvert it. And then to have this movie, which subverts it as a part of the franchise, to do that. Because, oh, isn't it meta? But then you don't do any of that. Uh, I would have I would have had David Arquette be alive the whole time with a flamethrower burning her into the pool, just like in Hollywood. But I don't know the MPAA rating of this movie. And if they wanted to do it, you know, for kids, they couldn't do something like that. Like, go whole hog with it. Go be, be ballsy. Or, don't have hey. a... Don't have a... What's her... Oh, goodness, her name. Nev Campbell. Don't have Sidney Prescott show up at all. Well, that, they had to do that. I know, but like on the subject of like trying to do something different with it, you know, have them have like, have everyone be like, Oh wait, here are the perks to doing a requel. Let's try to get all the old people back. And then none of them show up. And then we actually have to focus on these characters and then do something new with the concept where all the enemies, all the bad guys are intensely focused on the past. And the new kids are just like, well, we're going to break away from that and do something new completely. All that's a way better movie. Requel. Yeah. It's a way better movie. It's just, I don't know. Hell, they even killed off uh, what's they even killed off like the one named character from the fourth fi- from the fourth film to return. Oh yeah, that's right. The uh, the uh, the 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 new sheriff. And it was just one of those weird like uh, you didn't these two characters didn't even need to didn't not only did they not need to die but they didn't even need to be in the film at all. It was very long. Right. I don't know. I, I will say also, it, it's funny because Halloween Kills also did so much of this again. You know, Halloween yeah. Kills, another requel that uh, really leaned on its legacy ensemble. But I thought even that, which I know we, I liked it again. It stopped me from heard this one before. We agree at the root, but I liked it more than you. <laughs> uh, you liked it. How about we stick um, with that? <laughs> I liked it. Well, you all right? Because you, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, fine. Um, but, uh, where am I going with this? I don't don't know. know. I felt like at least, at least Halloween had an idea. Yeah. This good or bad. It was an idea, not the Babadook is elevated horror. And that is a, you know, it's a seed joke that got planted. It's a sour seed that grew into a shitty tree. Honestly, using, making a, making, making an A24 movie. But using like <laughs> David Arquette and Courtney Cox, that would have been amazing. Okay, because that <laughs> three, was my take three coming hour, out of this. Three hour, uh, what's his name? Who directed Midsummer? Ari Aster. Yeah, Ari Aster. 
Ari Aster's Scream Five, Scream Five would have been tops. Ten out of ten. I would have. Wa- I would have loved the crap out of it. See, because that's Ari Aster. We're gonna give you millions of dollars to poke fun at yourself. Like, come on, that's awesome. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, um, we were talking about it a little bit off air, and it's like two roads diverge in making fun of horror. You either do a requel of Scream, which I feel like they couldn't not do, or you go whole hog into other like every other horror trend. Mm-hmm. Like, like maybe in the middle of it, you do a misguided reboot of the Wolfman that fucks up. <laughs> I don't know. Anything, anything. At least that would have been funny. Um, but I anything don't know. at I, all, please. I, I'm mid. I mean, I, I think I ended up giving it three and a half stars because I did have some fun with it. But it's not Shakespeare. Uh, it's barely even Scream. Um, <laughs> I think I gave it was it better than be, better than Scream three. Yeah, well, oof. but. You know what? Let me ask you. Well, here's the thing. It Scream Five had better kills, but Scream Three had Courtney Cox and um, David Arquette as the main characters, and they're very fun to f- watch. So sure. I actually I prefer Scream Three, but I'm not watching either of these ever again. So does it actually matter? Fair enough. I have to go back. I kind of want to want to watch them all again. At least the first one. Yeah. Um, which first, is a great movie. The first, the first two are pretty solid. Three is where it gets a little be gets a little too much. Honestly, I'd I'd rewatch Scream Three just because it's a weird two thousands movie, and that's kind of charming in its own right. Fair enough. But yeah, that's my. Uh, I have, are, oh, sorry. You have more to say. I have one more thing before we get back to the before we tell people good night and leave because this is the end of the show. Yeah. Remember? <gasps> um, ah. What was a better requel, Scream 5 or Ghostbusters Afterlife? Um, Wait, did you even watch the whole thing? Oh, hell no. Oh, right. So who might never mind. Um, Afterlife is a better requel because it actually adheres to what a requel is. And Scream 5 is not a good requel because it tries to poke fun at it, but then just does it anyway. It just shows lack of any conviction. Uh, Scream 5 is better, though. Good to know. The only go the only ghost in Scream Five is Ghost Face, not an actual <laughs> dead man. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I get it. Uh, all right. So that is the Scream segment. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you next week, where our double feature will be. Uh, we don't currently know, but check the show notes.